So, as usual... Yes. You've set a time limit on this. Yes. Although, unusually, it's because you want me to go through my entire knicker drawer... Yes. And throw out any socks and or boxer shorts that you feel do not meet... My standards. Now, listen... That sounds very, very, very kind of like controlling. And maybe it is. Um, I do have OCD and I am absolutely sick to death of washing <laughs> subpar boxes and socks, okay? It's the time of year where you get socks and boxes mm. and it's time to wave goodbye to some of the old pairs is all I'm going to say. I'm sure I am not the only partner in this world who has to deal with subpar underwear from their gentleman significant other. I, I, could, I couldn't talk for same-sex couples. Nor should you. Nor should I. No. But um, most certainly, in, a, in my experience, men tend to um, have subpar underwear habits. Hey up, I'm Joe Heathcote, and this is Consistently Eccentric a British history podcast where we try to make sense of some of the lesser-known and more absurd people and events these islands have produced. So let's get started with... This story begins during the very last knockings of the Georgian era. Okay. Though, admittedly, most of the story does take place in the Victorian era. Okay. But I remember you telling me that you were very annoyed at the fact that everything was Victorian. So I I want to point out... Is this Victorian technically starts in the Georgian era? No, I, I I swear down the majority of the things I've done have been during the Victorian era, with some World War One thrown in for good measure. But the majority of it is Victorian. Yeah. Well, on October fifteenth, eighteen thirty-one, not quite Victorian, in Yorkshire, Isabella Bird was born. Her family were well connected. For example, she was the first cousin once removed of William Wilberforce, who, as MP for Yorkshire, would be instrumental in the passing of the Slavery Abolition Act in 1833, when Isabella was not yet two years old. And this is something I didn't know about William Wilberforce and the Slavery Act. Mm. It actually passed only three days before he died. Oh, wow. It was literally the last thing he did. So when he said, I will abolish slavery if it's the last thing I do. It literally was. Yeah, he was predicting the future. Fair enough. Her father, Edward, was a minister in the Church of England. This was not because he needed the money, as he could happily have lived a life of leisure based on his inherited wealth. Are we still talking about William Wilberforce? No, we're talking about Isabella Bird's father. No, I'm already lost. William Wilberforce was Isabella Bird's first cousin once removed. I'm just pointing out the rarefied air her family right, rolled okay, in. Right, okay, sorry. Her family were highfalutin. Right, okay. Isabella's father, Edward, was a minister in the Church of England. Mm-hmm. This was not because he needed the money, as he could happily have lived a life of leisure based on his inherited wealth. And he actually originally trained as a lawyer. Okay. But he suffered from the delusion that many people born into the upper classes experience that he had a right to tell people in the working classes, how they should live their lives. I can already tell he's an arsehole. I mean, there is some evidence that may reinforce that view coming up. Yeah. But, you know, Isabella herself, she was reportedly an intelligent and very perceptive child. Oh, so she knows her dad's an idiot. Well, at the age of six, when a prospective member of parliament visited her father to try and secure his vote, because, of course... 
landowning gentry, he had a, a vote. Yeah. She noticed that he took the time to compliment her little sister, Henrietta. Isabella approached the politician and asked him, Did you tell my father my sister was pretty because you wanted his vote? <laughs> yeah, very perceptive. Yeah. I like her already. She wasn't falling for no bullshits. No. At this time, the family were living in the rural community of Tattenhall, which Isabella absolutely loved. Very nice. She liked being out in the countryside. She liked the animals. She liked the freedom to go frolicking in the fields. Is Tatton... Tatton Hall. Is it near Cheshire? I think so. A lot of the family did live around Cheshire. Right, because it's Tatton Hall. Mm. But this is Tatton Hall all in one, rather than Tatton Hall. Okay. Unfortunately, though, her father decided to start an argument with the local dairy farmers regarding their insistence on continuing to milk their cows on the Sabbath, explicitly against the teachings of the Bible. Is it? Well, no, Does it specifically say... No work on Sunday. No manual labour on Sunday. And he kept saying to the, the farmers... I've always been told that that's what it says. Mm. But I've never actually heard it quoted. Well, he decided to take it in a very hardcore fashion. And there should be no no manual labour. and the, the Well, f- no milk <clears> on Mondays then. Well, the dairy farmer's going, yes, but... We need to milk the cows because their udders get full and it, it gets painful for the cows. Yep, they get mastitis. And it can cause complications. And he went, no, no. If you're Christian and you claim to be, then you have to do as I say. Or you could just say, well, I'm not Christian then, so screw you. And the pony you trotted in on. Well, they didn't quite go that far. What they did was they decided to boycott his sermons and, and his services. And in fact, all the people of Tatton Hall eventually got behind the dairy farmers and decided to boycott so he was by the end preaching his sermons on a sunday to nobody i was gonna say about either either nobody or about three people well i guess his family consisted of three other people his mm. immediate family so yes mm. he was preaching to his two daughters and and his wife uh yeah and he was asked to to move on to a different parish yeah i don't actually feel any sympathy towards him whatsoever. i wouldn't i think it was that, well, I don't have to actually work, so I don't understand why you might yeah. actually need to do something. Mm. I'm, I'm refusing to empathise with you. Mm. So, at the age of 11, Isabella experienced her first taste of travel, as the family uprooted and moved to the industrial centre of the Midlands, Birmingham. Lovely. I've only ever been once. Yeah. If you were, say, a young bright-eyed girl who'd got used to living in a carefree rural environment and you were moving to middle of the industrial revolution birmingham yeah yeah it was quite the sea change yeah i see that but while her location may have been relatively drab and i'm not doing birmingham down i'm just saying it was quite smoggy at that point in history very dirty yeah The family regularly received letters from relatives living in much more exotic parts of the world, such as Africa. Oh, wow. India. Mm. And Cincinnati. Oh, wow. Yeah. These letters sparked Isabella's imagination and reminded her that there was a much larger world out there than the restricted roles that were expected of a middle to upper class Victorian woman at the time. But roles of doing absolutely naff all. I'd have been bored senseless. No, you could write to friends. Don't. You, you could organise dinner parties. Don't try and make it something it's not. It's. You could birth children. Oh, my God. 
could organise the, the household I've accounts. I've twice. Yeah, and you, and you organise the household accounts. You're well on your way to becoming a Victorian yeah, middle-class well, we, woman. We weirdly have a very, very, if you were going to use the term, traditional setup at home, which d- doesn't suit our... Right-on views. Right-on views, really, but, you know... Needs must and your earning potentials more, so there you go. What's more punk these days than 2.4 children? I know, right? And a mortgage. And a mortgage. Sensible mortgage. The first signs that Isabella was not a fan of orthodoxy could be seen when, at the age of 15, she wrote an essay on the merits of worker protections in industry versus free market principles. This was written in the form of a farcical court case which starred Chief Justice Common Sense... (laughs) Barren public opinion. Oh my god. Mr. Humbug and Mr. Mock Philanthropist. Right, this this appeals to my sensibility a lot because I like to give things ranks in the army. Mm, you do. I do. So we have Captain Hindsight, he's an arsehole. Yep. There's another captain, there's Captain Sensible. I don't like him much either. No worries. Shortly afterwards, the family were forced to move again because her father learning nothing from the Tan Hall incident, had once again angered the locals by insisting that all the local shops and businesses should remain shut for the entirety of Sunday, conveniently ignoring that this was, for most of the factory workers, the only day they had off. So when do you expect us to do our shopping? knowing Birmingham of old, it's like the... um, They weren't actually uh, Christian heavy. Mm-hmm. Leather on hat too to keep up appearances, but again yeah. he managed to really piss off the locals. To He's the point... beginning to piss me off, to be perfectly honest. It's live and let live, you do you. Then, at the age of eighteen, something happened that would set Isabella's entire life course. She was diagnosed with a spinal tumour. Oh. It don't worry, it was non-cancerous. Okay. But was likely to cause ongoing issues if it wasn't removed. Okay. On the other hand, surgery would have had to have taken place without anaesthetic. Oh, my good God. Because although anaesthesia had first been used for surgery three years earlier, in 1846 Mm. in England, it was not yet widespread. I was going to say, it wouldn't be readily available, and most certainly not to women. And, as an extra sort of wrinkle in the old pro column for surgery, antiseptic technique would not be pioneered for over a decade Oh, and for specific details about how that happened, see episode 65 on Joseph Lister. Oh, yeah, there yeah. he is. But, oh, no, Ooh, la, 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 la. doesn't bear thinking about. Well, Isabella had a good hard think about these things, mm. and she opted for surgery. <gasps> Jeez Louise, okay. Now, luckily, she did survive, and she didn't develop any significant infections. Oof. So, lucky. Yeah, the well, odds were against, but she she fought the good fight. By the grace of God, the mm. surgeon had had a particularly sort of drippy bacon sandwich that morning, so he decided he best wipe his hands off before oh, he commenced mate. with the surgery. Oh, the whole thought of it is is beyond disgusting. Yeah, he, yeah. he was wearing one of his least blood-stained aprons when he oh, when he mate. rocked up to the because you know he just turned up to the house. Oh yeah, no, it's it, it's like it hits a bit hard, um, as Joe will um, contest. Speaking about our very traditional trad family, if you will, um, I had two cesarean sections, so the the thought of 
not proper pain relief and not proper aseptic technique just makes me feel a bit ill, to be honest. (laughs) Grim, grimity grim grim. But in terms of recovery, they didn't have many options available to offer her. So, as was common at the time, she was encouraged to leave Birmingham for a change of air. Oh, did because she go that's to the, the seaside? Best way. Uh, a seaside. A seaside. <coughs> yeah, her family chose to spend the summer in Scotland, in the Highlands of Scotland. Bracing. Yeah, where Isabella, despite you know just having had spinal surgery, hmm. spent her days hiking, canoeing, and generally enjoying the rugged landscape. <sighs> She's made of tough stuff. Mm. She was so inspired that she wrote an article about her time in the Highlands that summer Mm. and was ecstatic when it was actually published in a magazine. Gosh, wow, okay. You know, a little bit of early success there. Yeah. Just a few few thoughts about the Highlands of Scotland. Yeah. And somebody went, yeah, that's good. Looking to recreate the endorphin hit of seeing her name in print, Isabella began travelling widely in the UK, writing articles about wherever she went which often made it into the magazines. She was honing her, her craft. Her travel her writing. travel writing skills. crafts. Oh, my God. She didn't end up writing the Bradshaw or something, did no, she? No, that would be Bradshaw. Yeah, I know. But, like, <laughs> you know you know how people write, but because, you know, women's or whatever, you don't get proper props. Proper props. No, we're, we're at the point where you could, as a lady, publish, okay. publish as a lady... That was a very Georgian thing, the pen name, because women weren't supposed to write. No, because we can't possibly write anything Mm. of any worth. No. Please. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Not important at all. Nope. No. However, the endorphin hits soon began to wear off. She was just trying... You know, there's only a certain amount of variation you can get on the British Isles. Yeah. And as she was getting less and less fulfilment out of her travels, Isabella began complaining the same fatigue and chronic pain that the operation had been supposed to have cured. Oh, God. She was getting debilitating aches and pains and she was spending days in bed. Oh, no. The doctors reviewed the situation and decided that the pains had returned because the change of air that Isabella had received wasn't big enough. It wasn't a big enough change of air. Right, so nothing nothing to do with the fact that instead of proper bed rest, proper aftercare proper you know kind of like um occupational therapy and all the rest that we would have now she ended up walking the highlands of flipping scotland oh i imagine she was running them you know what i mean it's just like nothing to do with that no no it was the air it was the wrong air it was the wrong air they suggested that in order for a sufficient change to take place she might need to leave the uk altogether exciting Isabella had been aching <laughs> to expand her horizons. And now she had a literal doctor's note to convince her father to finance a trip abroad. Exciting. It was agreed that in order to make sure that she would be safe, uh-huh. that Isabella was to be sent to stay with relatives in Canada. And oh, at the age nice. of 22, she boarded a ship for Halifax, Nova Scotia. Wow. Yeah. There's a trip. Straight across the Atlantic. That's where she's going. Though she had been allowed to go, it was on the strict instruction. The strict instruction that she was to stay on her cousin's farm and she was to listen and heed their advice. You know, that her father wasn't so much letting her go as was placing her in the care of her uncle. 
Okay. And her cousins. Yeah. Isabella almost immediately left the farm to row across a river on her own to visit the indigenous peoples. Amazing. In a village a few miles away. Mm -hmm. Enjoying the opportunity to see a different way of life and trying, mostly in vain, to start conversations with the bemused locals. So you've you've got to imagine just a a native Canadian camp, Mm -hmm. wigwams, the full nine yards, and she just wanders in as a British woman, just going, oh, hello, and what are you doing there? Yeah. While everyone just looks at her like, who, what? Who are you? Who are you? Why are you here? Are you part of the genocide? What's going (laughs) on? (laughs) She seems interested, but why? She doesn't have a gun. Yeah. What do we do with her? Just just let her go. (laughs) No idea. But amateur anthropology could only hold her interest for so long. And after a few weeks, she decided that what she would really like to do would be to take a trip along the coast to the United States of America. She's off to the grand old US of A. Well, no. No, no. Because her cousins, still along by her visiting the local tribes, told her it was dangerous really, really dangerous for a woman to go travelling alone in America. Right. And anyway, there was currently multiple outbreaks of cholera on the East Coast and Isabella's health wasn't particularly good. So even if it's something she wanted to do in the future, maybe not now. Yeah. Yeah. Naturally, she packed a bag. They make a good point with the old, you know, kind of... But like waterborne I say, diseases. They were making at that point while she was packing her bag. And she was going, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah okay, yes, yes, yes. Okay. Are you listening? Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, she went straight to the nearest dock to book passage on a ship to Maine. Okay. The voyage turned out to be a very exciting one, which Isabella remembered in a letter to her sister Henrietta thusly. Wave after wave now struck the ship. The wind sounded like heavy artillery, and the waves, as they struck the ship felt like cannonballs. I heard the men outside say, She's going down! She's waterlogged! She can't hold together! A wave striking the ship threw me against a projecting beam, cutting my head and stunning me, and I was insensible for three hours. Okay. Now, she may have been exaggerating for the benefit of her sister. Well, I, I I was wondering whether she was spinning a yarn a little bit, stretching the truth for dramatic effect. But... But maybe not. As the subsequent book of her first American adventure was based on these letters that she sent home to her sister, this bombastic style became a hallmark of Isabella's writing that she would stick to throughout her life. So nothing was just okay. No. And nothing was just a bit rubbish. Everything was either the best thing she'd ever experienced and almost transcendental Mm -hmm. in its beauty, Mm. or it was the worst experience you could imagine times ten. She wow. was she was very much one or the other on every subject. Fair enough. She did arrive in Maine safely after ten hours in this violent storm oh my God. that may Concussed. or may not have happened, yes. And with only a minor concussion, yeah. she uh, took a train to Ohio. Okay. Where she was excited to experience a forest fire. Oh, wow. And an opportunity to lust after some cowboys who got a very detailed description. Were they cowboys? They weren't. They weren't lumberjacks. No, they were definitely um, cowboys in the traditional sense of they were, you know, herding the cows. Wow! Across the plains of Ohio. Well, I mean, as a what? How old would she be now? Twenty three. I was going to say twenty three, twenty four year old woman. That's an exciting sight to see mm. when you've been sheltered and the daughter of a priest. I can imagine that's quite the exciting sight. 
Isabella had been given £100 from her father for the entirety of her trip. That's not much. And she managed to make it last, managing to take in not only Ohio, but Chicago, Detroit and Niagara Falls. Wow, so she went right back up again. Yeah. Though at the falls, she was so annoyed by the tourist tat, which was already in full effect. Oh, wow. Okay. That she decided that the only way she was going to avoid the tourists was to try going behind the falls. Right, okay. An experience that she claimed nearly killed her. I, I, I can imagine it probably did. She said, it's not very good. It's akin to going behind a picture in an art gallery. It was very loud. Mm. It was very scary. It was very slippery. It was very cold. Mm. And there were two or three times when she thought she'd slipped terminally and that she was just going to, you know, sort of slide into that massive... Yeah. Just constant rush of water. Oh, my God. Straight underneath. That's Mm. it. No going... Oh, no. But even after all of these trips, Mm. she had some money left. So she travelled back north to Montreal and Quebec in Canada before returning to the USA to visit New York City and Boston. Brilliant. Before turning round again to return to the port of Halifax after six months and 6,000 miles of travelling. Wow. Go on, girl. Upon her return, her father was happy to see Isabella. And she was looking much better, amazingly, despite how how much she packed into those six months. You'd think someone with a, a condition that made her fatigued... Mm. and gave her muscle pain, that Mm -hmm. that would have almost finished her off. But she looked better than she'd been in years. Fair enough. And her father hoped that, you know, it it hadn't really stuck to his plan for her. You know, she hadn't stayed on the farm. But he was, this has got the travelling out of your system. Yeah. Maybe what you want to do is you want to write about all those experiences, put them in a book, so you can look back at it when you're, you know, married with your two kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and your dog. Yeah, and you can remember those 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 memories that you made. Mm. Luckily for Isabella, and I said, you know, her family were connected, just as she was polishing up the manuscript on a chance visit to see her cousin, mm. who just so happened to be the Bishop of Chester. Of course, yeah. just. Um, she bumped into a famous travel writer called John Milford. Mm-hmm. He had a quick look over her work and suggested that she send it to his publisher, John Murray who might be interested in publishing it. Mm. It's just, you know, you're just having dinner with the Bishop of Chester, as you do. Mm. And somebody goes, oh, I see you've got a manuscript for a travel book there. I know just the fellow you need to send that to. (laughs) Now, John Murray, he was interested. Good. He did publish it. And it was a success, a rip-snorter of a success. Brilliant. The book, An English Woman in America. Good name. Was reviewed in The Times... And because at the time authors received two thirds of the profits from book sales. Gosh, that is good. Yeah. You're not talking about pence on the pound. No. Full two thirds. Two thirds. Isabella found that she was suddenly a woman of independent means, (gasps) which naturally. Exciting. Highly embarrassing. To who? To Isabella. She was mortified by the fact that she now had independent wealth. Because Isabella had been brought up to believe that only lower class women worked for wages, while the upper crust were able to provide for their families based on inherited wealth, wisely invested. Oh, for God's sake. Yeah. In order to resolve... This is where our traditional standards fall, I think, between the two of us. It's just... No, no. Well, she had to resolve the issue in her own mind. Mm. And in order to do so... 
Isabella decided to use the money her book earned to do some philanthropic works. And she chose to buy new boats for all of the fishermen in Scotland who had been so kind to her during her convalescence. Oh, that's a nice thing. So she basically bought a new Highland fishing fleet. Brilliant. Which made her very popular indeed the next summer when the family again visited the Highlands. Aww. So she went back up there and all these grizzled Scottish sailors yeah. were just going up to her and just, just giving her a little, oh, thank you, thank you. Mm-hmm. This is so much better, honestly. Aww. Bless you, Mum. Bless you. I like that. But she was, she was for, for the rest of her life, very popular in the Highlands. Regardless Aww. of what else went on, she was very popular. I love Scotland. We've only just come back from Scotland ourselves. We were there last weekend. But even after the visit to the Highlands, she was itching to go on another big trip. She's like, yeah, it's always nice to She's definitely got the wonderlusts, hasn't she? She was so desperate that in 1857, she agreed to return to America to support a book her father was writing about evangelism. Right. This required her, in order that she was allowed to travel... What do you mean, allowed to? She's By her father. She's a woman of means now. She's, not. She's like in her twenties. The means have gone. She's given her means away. That her means are now Scottish boats and Scottish yeah, waters I know, catching but... Scottish fish. Okay, so are you saying that literally they published about ten books and that was it? No, but because... that, that initial rush for it was gone. There would be a steady income, right? But I'm not sure it'd be enough to support off one book a trip and financing the trip across America. But what would is her father, and her father said, you can go all across that great country, you can go from one coast to the other if you want. All I ask is that wherever you go, you listen to the sermons that are being preached in the evangelical churches. And Ugh. she listened to hundreds, oh my hundreds God. upon hundreds of these sermons on his behalf. Snore. Well, she felt that way as well. So in between the sermons, she managed to squeeze in a visit to attend a session of Congress, Nice. A trip to the Great Lakes and across the Great Lakes. Ooh. And a trip down the Mississippi mm-hmm. so that she could witness slavery, which her, you know, first cousin had abolished yeah. firsthand. Because, mm. of course, it was still going on. Of course it was. Yeah. They just didn't call it that. Well, they did. No, it was, it was what was it? Something like enforced enforced working or something like that. It wasn't. It wasn't called slavery. No, it was still in America slavery. And even when they did start to get rid of it, there were weird clauses where it's like, right, well, we'll free your kids, but not you. Or you're free, but in order to integrate you into society, you're going to have to do seven years as an indentured servant, which is yeah. essentially just slavery, slavery, so that we can rehabilitate you into society. Yeah, you know that kind of thing. Anyway, when Isabella returned with all the materials for her father's research, he was very pleased with her efforts and added them to his book, which had the catchy title, Some Account of the Great Religious Awakening, Now Going On in the United States. Catchy. It sounds like a brief description he gave to the publisher. What, it, what kind of book are you going to write? Oh, uh, some account of it sounds Great shit. Religious Awakening. I bet, I bet it's the driest, the driest topic Ever. I, I don't I, think there was a lot of fun in it. I think no, it's... it sounds dreadful. Well, despite the fact that he finished the book, he never saw it in print, as he died less than a month after Isabella had returned. That is a bit sad. I don't like people just No, but again, like it was his obstinance. He was ill, mm. and his family said, look, you are ill. Mm. Maybe you shouldn't go out and do your sermon this week because it's raining, it's cold. That church doesn't have any central heating, mate. Mm. 
and were worried about, you know, your continued existence. And he went, no, 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 it is Sunday. Therefore, all shops must be shut. No cows will be milked and I will be in that church because that is what happens on Sundays. On death stools. Yeah. But, you know, it turned out not to be the right choice. Because... Do you know what? Right. Sometimes you've just got to let people make their own choices. Good for the good or for the bad. And it seems like this time he just would not be told. So guess what? You've been smited. Smitten. Thus smoten. This unexpected death devastated Isabella. And you're saying it was his choice. Well, she came to believe that her travelling had been a contributing factor. The worry that she had placed upon her father's poor Christian heart. Do you know what, right? This This is why I have an issue with the church. It's like, it's just the guilt. The levels and layers of guilt is just disgusting to but be she honest. had a way to alleviate the guilt don't worry she made a vow because that's how you alleviate religious guilt you make a vow you do and her vow was to abandon all traveling and devote herself to religion in honor of her father okay it was a vow that she was to keep for 14 long years and though she was not traveling she was still writing okay though it was things like Articles on the history of hymns. Another. Mm, something to really get your teeth into. Juicy religious topics. Mm, dry. dry. Cushions on pews. A sign of sin? Question mark. How long is too long? Five hour sermons. Pros and cons. <laughs> Those kinds of lovely things. Yeah. yeah. After moving to Edinburgh with her family, Isabella did find charitable causes to devote her time to along with the writing. Mm -hmm. She organised for dispossessed Highland sharecroppers to be offered new opportunities in Canada and a couple of thousand, based on, you know, sort of her machinations, were shipped over to Nova Scotia. Wow. Though apparently history has no record of what happened to them from that point, so they may have done well, they may have all been immediately eaten by bears. We just don't know. (laughs) Let your imagination run wild on that one. Yeah. Because we don't know. (laughs) And she also tried to highlight um, the terrible conditions that the poor were living in in Edinburgh's old town, you know, the old tenements. Oh, yes. But although she highlighted it, not a lot got done. Little to nothing, probably. I would imagine um, it would be on a slightly less scale She went and wrote articles and was like, Glasgow. look at this terrible living conditions. And all the great and good of Edinburgh went, yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. It is. Anyway, back to the port. I know. It's literally like that anywhere, though. Anywhere and everywhere. It's just like, this is terrible. Look at look at the look at the deprivation. Look at the poorness. Oh, look, look at, at it. That. I mean, it was the same in London. It was the same in any of the large cities. Manchester. These people Birmingham. are living like animals, little more than just worker bees. Yeah. Just slaving away with no hope of betterment. But it is time for me to go to the theatre. I was going to say, so it's uh, time for my dinner now. And And let's face it, a few of those worker bees will be buzzing off every morning below my stairs Mm -hmm. to sort out my stuff. So maybe I'm not too enamoured with the idea of changing all of this. I Mm. I think it works perfectly well. Mm. But none of these activities that Isabella was getting involved in, they didn't scratch her itch. No, they won't. And in 1872... Her headaches and back pain returned even worse than before. 
to the point that she was advised by doctors to sit upright only in a supportive steel net, lest her spine break. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, so they made a special sort of steel encasement for if she wanted to sit up in a chair. Ow. That would just hold her rigid. Oh, no, that sounds awful. It was her sister, Henrietta, who finally convinced Isabella that the only remedy that had ever worked for her was travel. Mm. It was the only thing that ever made her feel right again. Mm-hmm. So, only semi-reluctantly, Isabella relented. Okay. And she said, right, okay, I'll go on one trip. We'll test it. Mm-hmm. She bought a ticket for Australia. Because she's not going to do things by half. No, she's off to the other side <clears> of the world. <throat> off yeah. she goes. Leaving her sister Henrietta to look after the little cottage they shared in Tobermory on the Isle of Mull in the Highlands. Yeah. You can um, you can see Tobermory um, if you don't live in the UK. Mm. There is a children's TV show. It's not current, but you can find it on YouTube. It's called Balamori. Is that where Balamori is? Is that, that is, Tobermory? It's Tobermory, yeah. So if you ever want to see what it's like, because they have all the painted cottages mm. and stuff, there's a children's TV show set there called Balamori. Well, their cottage is still there. It's a whitewashed little old oh, cottage. I wonder if it's the post office, because mm. the post office is white. Well, they only spent summers there. They spent the winters in Edinburgh. Um, but yeah, that was the... They shared that cottage, and they both lived as um, single women together, very companionably, 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 very happily. Oh, that's lovely. And I actually have an extra fact about Tobermory. Go on then. At the end, no, you've got to wait. Oh, mm. is the castle still pink? I don't know, because they painted that for Balamori. I imagine and not then. then. They got really excited and they, they for a long time they did keep it pink. Mm. And um, it was in and out of the kitchen. Yes. Can't think of what he's called. Miles Jupp. Miles Jupp plays um, Archie. Most who of our lives listeners in the big have no idea castle. about this. What? Most of our listeners will have no idea about this. You're naming In and Out of the Kitchen a Radio 4 comedy <laughs> sitcom. Yes. It has been on the TV as well. Damien Trench. Damien Trench. Anyway, back to Isabella. Yes. After a 12-week journey, <coughs> Isabella arrived in Melbourne. And it's fair to say that she was not a fan of Australia. Writing to her sister, this is a direct quote from a letter, mm-hmm. I don't know anything that could reconcile me to living in this country. The climate and the growths are so unlovely. The tone of everything is so low. I don't know what she's referring to. It may be that the people that she's just referring to as growths. I I think she's kind of talking about... I got the, the impression she was talking about, you know, kind of like the landscape. Well, apparently this was around the city and she did go in the middle of summer and it was bakingly hot. She was not used to this level of heat, and she probably got heat stroke. See, I've never, I've never fancied going to Australia, as well you know, mm. because we've had this conversation a lot. It's never been anywhere that I've wanted to go, and I, I fear my reaction would be similar, mm. to be honest. You know, she she did try a little bit to go out into the, the wilderness, which is where she's always, like, she's always been best. Yes. You know, off 
off doing the her own beaten trail. track. But she 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 couldn't last more than two weeks, and no. she was like, "I need to leave here." Yeah, so I, she... I fear I fear that we would, you know, kind of like save up, go, and I'd hate every minute of I it. I need to go home. I need to go home. We've been here twelve hours. Yes, and it's twelve hours too long, Joe. <laughs> I I need to leave. <laughs> In fact, I'm going to continue screaming now yes. until we are on the plane. Until we go home. Yeah. Well, Isabella quickly moved on to New Zealand, but it was still the height of summer. And if anything, she liked it even less than she liked Australia, which may have influenced her split second decision to set off back for America. Though naturally, this time, considering where she was, it was to San Francisco on the West Coast. Yeah, I don't I don't know what um, what it what it was actually like. I'm just thinking kind of like. The time you're talking is like eighteen, what seventy odd, eighteen seventy two. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know what Australia would be like. I don't know what the landscape would be like. I don't know what the it, it wouldn't be very political situation or the economic situation would be there during that time. I have no idea. There, there was an eco- the cities were having a booming economy because there were all those um, sort of minerals just out. You know? Yeah. Um, but it was still establishing itself. It was still it was a bit like a frontier kind of feel to it. If you imagine the West of America, I imagine it, and and I don't I I can't say for Australia now because I've never been, and to be honest, as I've just said, I'm not really interested in ever going. Um, but I imagine it to be quite bleak back then, especially. There were lots of things that could kill you in lots of interesting ways. There still and is, and I think I it. think that's like ninety nine percent of the reason why I don't want to go. But anyway, all in all. The voyage to Australasia lasted longer than her time there. And her desire to leave quickly, Mm. like right now, like Mm. get me on a boat. Yeah, I understand that. I I feel like that a lot. Meant that the boat that she chose to take passage on wasn't the best. Okay. It was um, leaky. A bit of it fell off during a storm, which was a worry. (laughs) And the... The engines could conk out at any moment, so there's a real sense of peril. Yeah, uh, as they were limping, Threat. limping across the ocean towards San Francisco. Uh-huh. Um, and then, because it had taken so long, one of the passengers happened to rupture a blood vessel and started coughing up blood. Oh my good god! Right. Okay. So the ship was forced to make port at the nearest land. I don't even know where the nearest land would be. Indonesia. No, no, no. Luckily, Tasmania. No, no. They were way out. In fact. The only land for miles and miles around was a collection of islands known as Hawaii. Oh! So oh, they, I'm hoping she likes that. She she loved, loved Hawaii. Ah. So much so that after just half a day there, and despite the boat being ready to go again, the one that she paid passage for, yeah, she couldn't bring herself to leave without exploring mm-hmm. these islands more and more. She ended up staying for six months. Oh. It was during this time that she was convinced to ride astride a horse rather than side saddle, as a demure lady would at the time. I know. I mean, how ridiculous is that? By the sheriff's wife, Mrs Severance. She's a good name for a sheriff. Yeah. Um, and that's just the circle she rolled in. You know, she was immediately invited to stay at the home of the sheriff of Hawaii. Fair enough. This ability to ride like a man yep. will prove very handy later on. Mm. So we'll just store that away. Yeah. Isabella visited the crater of an active volcano whilst it was spewing lava and naturally thought the entire experience was rather thrilling. 
I imagine she did. She, I, I imagine her being um, very good friends with our friend um, Alice Roosevelt. Mm. I imagine that they get on famously well and get up to a lot of scrapes. But it's just that, you know, you can imagine this boiling hot rock is just splatting at her feet. And she's going, ooh. Yeah, oh, this is thrilly bobs. Yeah. This is a different way to get a tan. Uh, she also watched some surfing because Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? And as we know from the uh, the cowboys in, in uh, Ohio, she does like a buff man. She does like a buff she man. She does like tanned... Just, not particularly Rugged. to talk to or to, to get man. involved just with, to just gaze to look at. at. Yeah. Yes. She likes to gave at that buff thing yeah. over the... The buff tin. Waxing up his board. Yeah. Naturally, though, after a tropical paradise like Hawaii, Isabella, she needed something completely different. Alaska? Close. Nova Scotia? No, no, she's not going back to Canada. Okay. That was way too boring. Minnesota? Mm, getting closer. As soon as she made it to mainland USA, because she eventually did carry on to San Francisco, mm. she headed for the Rocky Mountains of Colorado. Ooh. Mmm. Okay. She was not in the least bit worried that it was September and winter was fast approaching, mm. and that most people were leaving the Rocky Mountains of Colorado yep. till next summer. Yep. But it was in the Rockies where Isabella came across a rough log cabin mm-hmm. with a mud roof and animal skins stretched out and drying in the pale autumn sun. Very good. This was the home of a mountain man called James Nugent, but he was better known to everyone far and wide as Rocky Mountain Jim. Amazing. He had one eye. <laughs> one tooth, in... one brain cell. No, no, no. He was he was an intelligent man. Okay. A sensitive man. A misunderstood man. Oh. He had an impressive moustache, as all good misunderstood men do. Yeah. And he was literally oozing raw animal magnetism. Okay. Oh, she. Mm. Oh, it's everything she was ready for. I'm just going to blow my nose. <laughs> With no such thing as societal norms up there, there were about six people mm-hmm. uh, where, where she was staying, you know, including Jim. They were free to spend all of their time together. Riding up and down the trails, she'd join him as he went to check his traps. Right, that's what they were doing, is it? Yes, there's no... Well, Isabella has never said in any of her writings that they canoodled. There was canoodling. But he was a perfect gentleman. And when Isabella said that she wanted to climb Long's Peak, which was a fairly difficult climb, and had only been climbed successfully by a woman for the first time a few months prior to her arriving, okay, he said, yeah, I can see no problem with that. You're a woman with chronic fatigue issues and back problems. Yeah. It's getting towards winter now, so uh-huh. there's a lot more issues with snow. But let's go and do it. Fair enough. By her own admission, Rocky Mountain Jim ended up practically carrying Isabella up oh, this mountain. God. As she had significantly underestimated both her ability... Yeah. And the difficulty. She'd imagined it would have been like the volcano in Hawaii, which yeah. is like a, a gradual gradient. Yeah. And she was like, there were bits where it was just, we had to climb. And he was like, well, yeah, it's a it's a mountain. We're going to climb it. And she's like, yeah. oh, oh. So at times, apparently, he just tied a rope around his waist, around her waist. He climbed and she just kind of dangled there as he climbed up. Wouldn't surprise me. But Jim, he made sure she got up and down safely and was... A perfect gentleman throughout. Right. Even telling his dog, Ring, 
No, it's his ring. dog Ring to guard her at night so that she could sleep safely. Aww. So Ring had to go and sit by her and, and be on guard all night. Once you've climbed Long's Peak together, yeah. a romance is in the offing. Yep, you'd think. But Isabella didn't want to be tied down. She'd only just got into the... This was the first bit of the Rocky she'd seen. This was the first oh. bit. So she was like, I can't be tied down to Jim now. I need to no. I need to see what else is out there. Yeah. So after weeks and weeks of delay, while Jim was off in Denver selling his pelts, she slipped away. <gasps> see, I find that quite shocking. I feel sorry for She's Jim. She's going to come back around, don't worry. She just needs to finish her trip. Isabella headed to Denver. En route, she met a man called Comanche Bill, a notorious desperado. Wow. Though his real name was actually the less impressive George Porter. Okay. He was the subject of a book with the incredible title. And this, of all the titles of books you get in this episode, this one. Are you ready? I'm ready. Comanche Bill or Black Wolf Scalp being the truthful story of a Western hunter who lived on rattlesnakes, had his ten finger ends pounded off, but lifted ten Indian scalps for the ten finger ends, and, finally, tore the scalp from his mother's murderer. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Now that is a book. That is a book I want to read. Out of print. Oh, very disappointing. On her return journey, she did go back to meet with Jim again. And Jim, Jim. deciding this meant a lot more than maybe it did, declared his love for her. Oh, Jim. And Isabella was tempted. She was tempted. But... I I, I knew there was a book coming. she, She was quite honest with him and she said, I am concerned that you are quite the alcoholic and you drink all of the whiskies. Okay. Amazingly... He openly admitted that that was true, that yeah. he would never stop drinking his whiskey as no. it was the one true joy he had in his life. Wow. And that he understood that it was a reason that they could never be together as he loved her. But he loved whiskey but so n- damn much. Not as much as he loved the whiskey. Oh, well, at least he was honest. Yeah, he, he, she, she put a reasonable objection in front of him and he went... Yeah. Yeah, I can see how that would be a concern. Yeah, I'm I know not going that I am. Change. He was notorious, apparently, as being the nicest, gentlest, kindest man with the soul of a poet when he was sober. Mm. And then he was the biggest asshole in town when he'd been drinking, and he wow. was often been drinking. And she was like, "Well, yeah. I've only seen one side of you, and I'm scared of the other side because you have access to a lot of guns and knives." Yeah, it's not worth. <laughs> it. Who's like, yeah, I probably straight up murder you. So, Mm. good choice. Mm. If she had planned to return to visit Jim again in the future to try and reform him, she would never get the chance. He was shot dead on June 19th, 1874, for objecting to his land being made into a hunting reserve. Oh my God, that's really sad. Mm. So there were a couple of land developers who were trying to cajole him and he was just, no, no, this is where I live, I want to live this lifestyle that I'm used Mm. to. This is what I do. I don't want you bringing tourists in here. And they went, well, there's only the three of us here and... You're dead now. Mm, yeah. Bye-bye. There's a very easy resolution to this issue oh, for us. terrible. Isabella's two books, Six Months Among the Palm Groves, Coral Reefs and Volcanoes of the Sandwich Islands, mm-hmm. because that is what Hawaii was known as yeah. at the time, yeah. in 1875, 
and A Lady's Life in the Rocky Mountains, published in 1879, were smash hits. She'd come back out of semi-retirement and she was still landing those big punches. Mm -hmm. Isabella naturally funneled her profits into charitable works because she couldn't do something as low as keep the money. Joining a committee to establish a training college for medical missionaries, amongst other things. And it was in this capacity that she met Dr. John Bishop. Okay. The two hit it off while examining magnifying glasses together. I say. And despite Bishop being a decade younger, there was a real spark. A toy boy. Mm. Though when he did finally pluck up the courage to mention marriage, Isabella cut him off, commenting later that, and this is, you've got to make allowances for things that have changed meaning. Okay. Okay. He behaved so beautifully so that our intercourse would be quite free from embarrassment. Okay. And it's always good to have non-embarrassing intercourse. Isn't it? Mm. Especially if you're trying to be friends. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Right, okay. A further bout of aches and pains led to another medically backed requirement to travel. Mm -hmm. And this time Isabella was thinking of South America. Okay, yeah. But she wasn't sure, so she wrote to Charles Darwin as you do, to ask his advice. I'm not sure he'd say South America, but okay. You're right. He was not agreeable to the idea. So she settled on Japan. Fab, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Initially, she was very put out by the lack of English people there, especially when the British consul handed her a map with large sections marked insufficient information. Wow, that's quite scary, actually. (laughs) But when he added to that that in rural Japan, all foreigners were treated with suspicion, yes. bordering on hostility. Yeah. She was naturally more than happy to get started. Yeah, go on, girl. She engaged an interpreter called Ito and set off in June 1878, wearing, so that she wasn't, you know, standing out too much, a striped tweed suit. Very British. Isabella was very impressed by Japan, but they were more impressed with her. Foreigners were still such a rarity that her appearance in a rural village was a major event, Mm. sometimes attracting hundreds of people who wanted to have a look at the strange pale woman. It's, um, in China, it's still like that. My sister um, lived in China for a short time. My parents visited China and they were a novelty. Like, people would actually stop them in the street to take photographs of them and with them. Um, I saw a white! Yeah, they said... It's the it's the oddest role reversal, weirdest. Well, she obviously my mum's just like well, I I would never do it the other way round. Stop somebody because of how they look to take a photograph, like a sideshow. Mm. Yeah, but I guess it's also very bizarre. You know, we've had multiculturalism for a long, long time, and when we're talking about Japan at this time, it had only been open to the world for decades, we're talking, yeah, since the long true. isolation. Yeah. And it'll be similar with the interior of China, I imagine. Mm, definitely. It is worth noting that at one point, Isabella was treated by a doctor who genuinely claimed to have been using powdered unicorn horn. She may right. have been sceptical, but the treatment worked. So there, there you, you go. go. Zog and the Flying Doctors, based in fact. Yeah, absolutely. Another fun story about medicines. She was um, staying in a, a small inn uh, in rural Japan mm. and she saw someone who was obviously like the, the son or daughter of the um, the innkeeper 
suffering with a bit of IBS. She just so happened to have some medication that could treat that, so she offered it, gave it, and of course the symptoms resolved. It was basically she gave someone some Rennies, yeah, the equivalent, and she went to bed, thought no more of it. They were like, thank you, thank you, and she was like, it's fine, you know. Mm, don't worry about we're, it. We're all friends here. She woke up the next morning and there was a queue of people from the neighbouring villages, you know, 20, 30 oh miles God. away, all with different things. And you're talking serious maladies. You know, there were people turning up with bits falling off. Oh, my God. Quite clearly, you know, serious fevers yeah. and infections. And she had to, through her interpreter, say, I have this one vial of medicine that is very specifically... They're for poopsies. Yes. To help when you have, you know, a grumbly tum-tum. So... Yeah. I don't know what's going on with that man over there. That is a huge goiter and I cannot treat you, sir. Yeah, absolutely. Send and him, and him with the one leg? No, that's gone. I'm sorry. You're just going to have to just deal with that. However, 20 miles in that direction, there is a man with powdered unicorn horn. I think he can help you. Yeah. Go go, the, go to him. Oh, I'm sure God. he will help. In all, she covered 600 miles across rural Japan, visiting the islands of Hokkaido were even her, sort of, the, the Japanese interpreters said, yeah, they're weird people over there. That was like the isolated... Even they think they're weird. Yeah, the isolated wow. people in the... They were isolated from the isolated people. They were double wow. isolation over there. She found them to be very um, hospitable, but didn't like how much they drank because they, she turned up during a festival and it seemed like the end of that festival was everybody drinks to the point at which they pass out. Which just left her sort of stood around looking at all of these people passed out on the floor going, well, this is just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You should be ashamed of yourselves. Yeah. This isn't very Christian. Oh, God, she wouldn't like uh, the World Cup mm-hmm. and things like that. Renowned for drinking. Well, not this one. <laughs> no. She returned home via Egypt and her adventures became the book Unbeaten Tracks in Japan, published in 1879. So everything was going well for Isabella. She's got a groove back. She's going on regular trips. She found a mojo. Asia is a whole new world she's opened up that she could... Yeah, that's true. You know, she's only just scratched the surface of that. Mm-hmm. Then in 1880, her sister Henrietta, the person she wrote all of her letters to, mm-hmm. basically, you know, helped to draft her books, mm-hmm. died of typhoid fever oh. in the little cottage in Mull. She managed to make it home to see Henrietta before she died. And she did nurse her in her final hours, so she had that. Henrietta had been her world for nearly 20 years, and her sudden, unexpected death led to an impulsive decision. Okay. She agreed to marry John Bishop in 1881, Mm. provided she could go off whenever she wanted, for as long as she wanted, to um, research for her travel books. Mm -hmm. So it's basically, I'm going to marry you, but we're going to live completely separate lives. Yes. And because... He was young and besotted with her. You know, she was nearly 50 when she got married. Wow. He just went, yep, that sounds fine. But when you, when you, when you come home, on the rare occasions we are in the same bed, we, we can have agreeable intercourse. Mm-hmm. Non-embarrassing intercourse. Not, can we have non-embarrassing, non-embarrassing intercourse? intercourse? She went, yes, that would be agreeable. <clears throat> Luckily, though, he wasn't cramping a style for long because he died in 1886. Oh, Jesus. Despite the ministrations... Of Joseph Lister, who again we covered in episode sixty-five. Go and go and listen. Go and listen to it. You will regret not doing. I don't believe we mentioned John Bishop in the episode as one of the people, you know, because Lister was also looking after Queen Victoria. Yeah. Not to be unfair to John, is a bigger get. Mm. 
and it completely freed Isabella Bird up, so she was able to plan a new trip to visit India and Tibet in 1889. Okay. Though this time, because again, death takes Isabella weirdly every time it happens in her immediate circle, she felt that she needed to have more of a purpose than just writing about the place. So she intended to go as a missionary. Okay. And she did open a hospital in John's name in India. I mean, it was all just, as her illness was, as everything else was, you know, her getting research for her dad's books, it was all an excuse to do what she really wanted to do. But nice things happened. She opened a few hospitals along the way. You can't. That's a nice thing. Yes. Mm. She... Visited the Himalayas. Very Very impressed. Very impressed. She visited Kashmir, which is where she set up the hospital in her husband's Mm -hmm. honour. And then she headed into Tibet. Aside from nearly drowning in a swollen river, she reportedly enjoyed it. Okay. Because again, you know, if there's not some kind of life or death experience, it's not an Isabella trip. Yeah. You don't get that as much. You know, when you watched Wish You Were Here in the 90s, (laughs) Wish with, you were with Jill Dando. Jill Dando. Oh, Jill, rest in peace. Yeah. You never you never had them almost die. I don't remember she one did time. Die. That wasn't due to holidaying. No, it wasn't. That was due to a stalker. Yeah. And a gun. But, you know, you know that sense of peril really has been lost from the travel experience these yeah, days. I think they need to put it back in. You don't get it on uh, Michael Portillo's Great Railway Journeys either. No. Or, you know... The likes of... If Isabella Bird had been on one of those railway journeys, the engine would have blown up and you would have just had a fireball pulling carriages full of screaming people towards a bridge that looked like it wasn't going to hold. Yeah, now and it's And she'd be more... sat scribbling furiously about how exciting it all was. Absolutely. There's no, a it's woman next to me fun puking. in the sun, isn't it? It's, it's all fun in the sun and holiday homes and... Yeah. Anyway, she enjoyed it all uh-huh. and published Among the Tibetans in 1894. Wow. Despite being over 60 at this point, Mm -hmm. Isabella planned further trips to Persia, which was a 600-mile route in a caravan train, and to Turkey in 1891. Oh, Istanbul. Not Constantinople. Okay. She visited China and Korea in 1897, and in 1903, she made her last trip to visit Morocco, Mm. who, at the time of recording, are still in the World Cup. Go Morocco. Go Morocco. Yeah. Good luck against Portugal. I mean, the odds are not in your favour. They weren't in their favour against Spain, though. Come on, Morocco. I know, but I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful for Morocco. It's not a bridge too far. In 1890, Isabella had become the first woman to be awarded honorary fellowship of the Royal Scottish Geographical Society. Oh, wow. The big moustaches. Yeah. Two years later, she became the first woman allowed to join the Royal Geographical Society. Oh. Really? The even bigger moustaches. And she was even allowed to give lectures then. Oh, the biggest So she moustache. lectured the moustaches. She was also elected to join membership of the Royal Photographic Society on January 12th, 1897. Because at some point, someone had said, well, the stories are great, but do you know what would be even better? See, I imagine she would have... you had the photos of it. See, I, I would imagine that she would have taken a camera anyway to kind of... For, for her own documentation at slash first, letters. she just drew sketches. Okay. But then someone said photos would be better. And she took it on board, despite the fact the technology, as we learned in the Edward Moybridge episode, was like these mm-hmm. massive boxes. She still, you know, employed someone to wheak it around after her so that she could take all of yeah. these photos. I imagine she had a Sherpa. Oh, yeah. One or two. Mm. Isabella was planning another trip to China in 1904, 
when she died on October 7th, aged only 72. The prime of her life. I mean, she 72 so is the start more... of your travelling life, as far as I'm concerned. It, she had so much more to give. You know, if, if she'd been a, around today, she'd only have had 22 years of saga holidays behind her. I know. It's nothing. It's nout. Yeah. Viking river cruises. Oh, she never made it on a Viking river cruise, no. Joe. She was buried in Edinburgh next to her father, a mad, puritanical a box of father. frogs. <laughs> her mother, you imagine long suffering. Yeah. And her beloved sister. Oh. I did promise you another Isle of Mull fact, didn't I? Yes, you did. Today, if you visit the Isle of Mull, you will find a clock tower on Tobermory Harbour. It was paid for by Isabella shortly before her death in memory of her sister Henrietta, who inspired her unique writing style. The tower was designed by Edward Wimper. And if you remember that name, or it, it's just ringing some bells. No, face clang. He's better known as the first man to have climbed the Matterhorn, which we covered in episode 45. Oh, you see, it's all fitting and together like a jigsaw. And I know like no other architectural thing he did. Because, of course it was. Of course it was him. And that is in that is at the beginning of uh, Balamori. The clock tower? The clock tower. Well, there you go. If that, yeah. if that clock tower was at the start of Balamori, that clock tower was paid for by Isabella Bird to be built in memory of her sister. Aww. And it was designed by the first person to successfully climb the Matterhorn. Well, there you go. And the source. What's the story in Balamori? Well, that's one of the sources, apparently. Yes. Amazing Traveller, Isabella Bird, by Evelyn Kay. Hmm. It contains a lot of direct quotes from Isabella. Brilliant. Um, she sounds like a direct and upfront young lady, and I like her very much. And you can definitely... Um, if nothing else, get um, her book about, you know, her time in the Rocky Mountains mm -hmm. in many different formats from publishers. That one's definitely still in print. I don't know about all of the others. That was definitely the one that... It was the one. The one. If, you, yeah. if you're only going to have one Isabella Bird book, that would be the one. I imagine that would be the most insane read as well. Yeah, yeah. Because it's all about her and Rocky Mountain Jim. And you can... You can try and piece together if you want. Play a little detective and yeah. see see if you feel that there is a romance there, that they mm. did actually... That they took it further than... Yeah. Oh, interesting. Play play detective, guys. Him and, him and his one eye. And his one eye. And his you know, smell of beaver pelt. I know. Because it was beaver hats were the big thing. He oh, would get the Jesus. beaver pelts for the beaver hats because they were really in vogue at the time. I just imagine he smelled like a walrus, to be honest. Walrus of Love, maybe. Mm. He was full on Barry White in her. Feels so good. Dum, 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 dum. In my pants. So there you go. That is. We like to do the female um, explorers. We do. I do a lot of them. Um, I think it's important to have uh, representation where, is, where at all possible. And. I think as a female lady person, mm. I can kind of... There's a lot more sympathy to be had, I think, from understanding how far we've come and how far we've still got to go. But I think, I think especially at the time, it was so yeah. unusual that it was, oh, gotcha. it was akin to a superpower because you would go and people wouldn't know how to say no to you. You'd just be able to ball through and go, yeah. well, I'm going to go over there anyway. And they go, oh, okay, okay. I don't. We, we know how to stop men Follow from doing this. Follow the mad lady. Yeah, but we've never even thought 
how we try and stop a woman. No, I love it. Because women would never do this. You you shouldn't be doing this. No, but you are. Stop breaking the system. good for you. Mm. Okay, you are free. Because I now have to go and check my underpants for holes. Yeah, you do. Because that was the deal. Yeah. And then only then may I edit this. Yes. Okay. Goodbye, everybody. Love you all. Hi there, it's Emma, Chief Organiser at Consistently Eccentric. Here to remind you all that if you like what you hear, you can catch up with all previous episodes and session series by searching for us on Acast, Spotify and iTunes. How fancy. You can also join us on Instagram at Consistently Eccentric Podcast, where we update on the weekly episode and post all of our bonus content for you lucky lot. See you next week.